This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. All right, everyone, this is Kelly Herbick, your host here from the Northeast region with the Northeast Agronomy Podcast. I'm joined with our summer intern, Cheyenne Markowski. Cheyenne, can you tell us who our guest speakers are for today? Thanks, Kelly, for the introduction. We're nearing the end of July, and we're joined with field agronomist Eric Nixon, who covers Western New York, and Alan Goodwin, who covers Eastern New York, all the way up to New England. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, so this week, we are going to talk about uh, pests and diseases in the corn crop, primarily up in that New York and New England region. Um, but before we jump into our main topic for the week, we're going to open with our odd and unexplained, um, which is a segment where our agronomists talk about something odd or unexplained that they've seen as they were out scouting this past week. So Eric Nixon, I know you've got a really odd one for us. Can you tell us what you saw this week? Sure. Actually, this happened uh, yesterday. I was just south of Elmira, New York, uh, checking on some corn, looking for leaf diseases. And uh, I was all by myself in the field where it's nice and quiet. And all of a sudden, I about 20 yards away from me here, big ruckus right next to me. And I hopped out into the uh, out of the field, and uh, there was a, a small uh, piebald buck uh, standing there. And then he took off after that. So first time for me, never. Well, I've seen piebald deer before, but not uh, in the same cornfield as me. So I don't know. That was kind of odd and unexplained. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so Eric, you know, for, for listeners like me who had no idea what a piebald deer was, what is it? So a piebald deer is a deer that has both white and brown colored fur. So uh, it almost kind of looks like a, a brown Holstein, uh, but this guy had, uh, you know, uh, some horns on him. Not, nothing big, but uh, so it's just kind of odd. It's, it's half white and half brown, so... That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so totally unrelated to agronomy or, or really this podcast in general for the most part, but it is, it is definitely an odd one. Thanks for that, Eric. Yep, no problem. So as we jump into our main segment here, um, we're actually going to start with you, Eric, there in, in Western New York. Um, you know, I know that this is the time of year when we're looking to make sure we're scouting, staying on top of insects and disease. What are you seeing out there in, in Western New York right now? Yeah, so uh, this week I got a couple of calls in the Finger Lakes area in regards to uh, uh, western corn rootworm feeding on uh, pre-tasseled corn, which I had seen, but it's been a while, um, this severe, I guess. So um, <clears throat> what, uh, what we were seeing is uh, uh, the western corn rootworm beetles were stripping away the green leaf material and leaving kind of a parchment paper look on the leaves and um, when you're looking for uh, uh, the corn rootworm beetles uh, right around now they're starting to emerge out of the ground and uh, they're looking for pollen and if they're in a cornfield they're going to find something else to eat so they'll start on the leaves but uh, the western corn rootworm the females are mostly yellow uh, kind of a greenish yellow with uh, black stripes along their uh, back and uh, then the males are yellow, but they're mostly black on their back. So um, these fields were, were just covered, plants were covered. My estimation was anywhere from five to 10 beetles per plant, which uh, <clears throat> that's pretty significant this early uh, 
typically we're finding them in uh, tasseled corn uh, feeding near or on silks that are holding pollen. Um, so in uh, this case, you know, it's, it, they really didn't have anything to feed on other than the leaves. And uh, eventually, because I would, in my estimation, there's probably about two weeks away from actually tasseling in this field. It was a continuous corn field, but uh, more likely they're going to move travel looking for uh, fresh pollen somewhere, whether it's corn pollen or, uh, you know, could be ragweed pollen for that matter. So, hey, Eric, um, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but I have, I have a question on, on what you're describing. So you're, you're describing some of that leaf injury. Um, I'm understanding that to me, that's the, the first indication that you could possibly have that, that um, corn rootworm beetle in the field. What's the next step in damage that they cause? Right. Yep. Thanks. So um, after that, they will move into corn that's tasseled and make producing silk. Then what will happen is they'll start to feed on that silk and you'll see silk clipping, which is more uh, of, a, uh, of a problem for uh, pollination, especially if you are uh, less than 50% pollinated across the field. Uh, if the uh, rootworm beetles are clipping that silk down to a half of an inch, that could uh, really reduce the amount of kernels that are produced on that ear. So that's where I would probably really concentrate my focus on, not just uh, the leaf feeding, but would be the silk clipping. And uh, if you're seeing plenty of adults out there and clip silk, prior to five or 50% uh, pollination, uh, it may, uh, may need attention. So as far as maybe a possible uh, insecticide application, so. Yeah, it sounds like that could actually really impact yield. Do you have kind of an estimate on what that yield impact could be? It would really depend on the severity of how bad the, six or, the silks are clipped uh, and uh, you know where pollination was at. So, um, you know, you could, it could be pretty drastic. It could be drastic. As far as putting a number on it, I guess, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's probably situational. Um, I guess one more question around this topic. Is this something that you're seeing broadly in a lot of fields or is this a relatively isolated situation? So far, uh, it's just been uh, locally into the Finger Lakes area. Um, near uh, uh, the other side of Seneca Lake. And I did see some uh, silk clipping when I was down near the Elmira area. Uh, not a lot, but uh, a couple fields that uh, were tasseled out, uh, loaded with uh, rootworm adults, but there was zero feeding at that time. So th again, this was just yesterday. So, um, so far in the far Western New York, I have not seen any yet, but we'll see as I'm looking around more. Um, the rest of this week and uh, next. Well, I guess one more question around this, Eric. Is there something in your mind driving an uptick in corn rootworm in the area um, more broadly uh, with, with farm practices, or is this just kind of a, a weird thing that's happening this year? It, for some reason this year, it is very early. For, to see this number of adults, this is, this is kind of odd, and I, I can't really explain why. Maybe it's the advancement of how many heat units we've we've accumulated so far this growing season, um, but other than that, um, you know, the other thing I, point I wanted to make too is as I was walking and checking these plants, I was constantly trying to pull 
and uh, play inside of the ground to see how the roots were doing. Uh, with that number of adult beetles, uh, there would you would think that there would be larva feeding uh, earlier in the year, but uh, all these root balls were very healthy, full of uh, root hairs. Um, it would take you know two hands to try to pull the the corn out of the ground, uh, as opposed to other years where you could walk by and just with one hand or even knock a plant over because of uh, severe root worm uh, larvae feeding. So, um, yeah, not really sure, or uh, that's the only really uh, explanation I can come up with is the amount of heat units that we're, we've experienced so far, why they're, they're here so early. So, but yeah. That's great, Eric. And we'll probably have to check in with you about this again here in the next um, couple of weeks, just to see how, how things are progressing. Alan, you know, you're located there a little further east, um, New England region. What are you seeing? Are you running into corn rootworm or what's what's happening in your neck of the woods? Yeah, so actually we um, haven't had uh, any cases of, uh, of corn rootworm adults feeding early like uh, Eric is seeing over there. But, you know, one thing that we've been dealing with is um, some pretty heavy drought. And it's kind of been that way across um, both of our areas. Um, but you know, we all, we are a little further ahead than, uh, than the West. It was just kind of a little bit better from a moisture standpoint early on for us. And, um, you know, we're starting to get situations where tassels are popping out, corn is, um, pollinating. And so, um, you know, drought was, and in some areas still a pretty hot topic of discussion. Um, no pun intended there. Uh, you know, while a majority of the area has gotten some really well-timed rainfall, um, I, I know there's a few parts out there where tassels are coming out and lack of water still kind of remains a, a concern. And really, whether this applies to you or not as a grower, it never hurts to pop into a field that's in the process of tasseling or fully tasseled. Just check in on silk emergence, growth, make sure, um, you know, nothing is, is way off on that end. Um, and really for, for corn that's been fully tasseled for several days, you can easily check in on the whole pollination and fertilization process. Um, super easy thing to do. You just kind of take a, an ear off of the plant, really carefully and gently unwrap the, the husk um, all the way around until you get down to the, the silks and the ear itself. Um, just give the ear a little bit of a shake and then um, observe which silks remain attached. And if all is going well, um, really everything from the base <clears throat> towards the tip of the ear should fall off um, fairly easily. And, uh, you know, you still uh, may see some of the tips still attached, the tip silk still, uh, still attached. That just means they haven't successfully received pollen yet. Shouldn't be an issue. As long as there is still pollen to shed from the tassel, you're, you're all right. Um, and really at, at the same time, at, uh, yep, go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, I just had a quick question, um, Alan. Is there, is there a time frame that you, is ideal to do that pollen check? Is there, can you be too early? Can you be too late? I guess, what, what's your thought around that? Yeah, so, you know, really it's something that you can do as early as you see silks come out. Now, you're not going to, um, you know, if the pollen hasn't starting, started to shed from the plant, yeah, all your silks are going to still remain attached. That's not a huge deal still examine the ear, do some kernel counts and look at the potential that's there. You know, the ear is fully developed. The number of rows around is set. The length of the ear is set. Count those, um, you know, simply getting into a field just because it hasn't started to pollinate isn't, um, you know, isn't a bad thing. Checking in as, as frequently as possible is very good. 
Um, you know, I, I was mentioning drought and, and a lot of people getting well-timed rainfall, but there was some pretty significant drought stress towards the later V stages of some of these uh, plants where um, that's kind of the time period where the ear length is set. So, you know, like I said, go ahead and, and do those counts and see, um, see how much uh, stress has actually occurred. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's a little bit of a concern for yours, but if nothing else, at least it'll kind of put your mind at ease to see that you have a, a well-developed ear and the potentials there just got to pollinate and, and move forward. There are any other concerns, I guess, drought related? I mean, you mentioned nutrient deficiencies. What should we be looking for there um, this time of year? Yeah, so so from the drought standpoint, there's um, early earlier on, um, there was some concern that, you know, they were uh, some guys were seeing some signs of uh, potential potassium deficiency, um, where you have that extreme yellowing right along the margins. That's something that is really heavily related to um, moisture as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that potassium is an issue, um, but drought can kind of make it seem that way because you don't have the water to kind of let the potassium flow to the plant roots and have it take it up. So, um, you know, as far as nutrient deficiencies go, at, when you're checking in for ears as well, you want to look kind of down towards the base of the plant, see if you're seeing any firing, um, kind of that V, yellow V that develops on the lower leaves, and, and that can be a sign of nitrogen deficiency, which you uh, try, definitely don't want to see as it's going into the, um, uh, going into the reproductive stages, because it's, it's using quite a lot of it at, that, at this point in time. Thanks, Alan. And Eric, it sounded like from Alan's perspective, drought was a, an issue possibly in your, your geography as well. Um, what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, so uh, part of my area has seen some rain over the past uh, 12 days. It's uh, been spotty, but there are still some drought-stressed areas uh, where you still see the leaf curling. Um, but uh, for the most part, it seems like the uh, earlier planted corn seems to be handling the the uh, drought quite a bit better than maybe end of May planted corn, uh, first couple of weeks of June. But, um, you know, other than that, as far as, you know, I'm seeing probably about 10% of the corn is tasseling right now. Um, some fields are tasseling a little uneven. Uh, there are some areas maybe on the uh, knolls that are behind that might have been drier where the lower areas of the field, which were able to hold moisture better. Um, you know, th those areas are tasseling, but it's, it's very early right now as far as uh, uh, this week here in Western New York uh, with the tasseling, so. Great. Any, any last minute thoughts around, um, you know, pest diseases that you're seeing in corn, um, Alan? Yeah, so um, one thing that, that you kind of want to, um, to keep an eye out for is um, look, looking for leaf diseases at this point in time. I was actually just in a couple of fields yesterday and seeing some early signs of uh, gray leaf spot actually moving in on, on the lower leaves. Nothing uh, super heavy, but that kind of brings me to, uh, you know, to a next point to watch out for um, some, future, uh, some uh, future issues over the next coming weeks. You know, we just got done talking about hot, dry weather, and it might not seem fitting to move into, into a discussion on disease, but um, there are certainly plenty of areas that have been warm and really humid. And really, the late V stages, early reproductive, are, are a great time to start checking higher risk fields for signs of leaf diseases. Um, so what constitutes a high-risk disease field? 
Um, for me, the, the main factors really are those that are in continuous corn have high residue, like no-till or, or minimal uh, tillage systems, and the past history of disease is, is also a pretty big factor. Um, so I just suggest prioritizing, monitoring those fields that kind of check all those boxes um, of those characteristics I mentioned above. You know, it, it might seem a little early to scout for some diseases, but, um, you know, it, it can also become too late to scout as well. Uh, by the time you notice it driving by a field, it, it's, it's quite late. Thanks for that, Alan. And, and you, you did roll us right into our, our final segment here, which is um, really around weekly watchouts. So as we think about the next 7, 10, 14 days um, on the horizon, there's obviously quite a bit of, of season yet to play out. Um, what are some of the things that you guys think we should be focused on or aware of as we think of those next 7 to 14 days? Yep. So um, one thing that, that, you know, we've been kind of seeing, and this goes again back to kind of a little bit of the drought discussion is, I've had, uh, you know, more than a few growers noticing what kind of looks like a nutrient deficiency in corn on kind of the edges of their fields. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of seemingly random, partially circular patches. Some of the symptoms they're seeing are, you know, yellowing, speckled leaves, some red striping, um, you know, especially that's kind of closer towards the uh, leaf margins. And, you know, I'll really, they're, they're difficult to see, but when they're bad enough, spider mites will form webs that are commonly located along the mid vein. Um, and when they are severe, they can cause these exact same symptoms. And most of the time I've been seeing these um, pop up in, in some of those situations. So, you know, if, if you're still having trouble seeing them after you turn the leaf over, just grab a dark piece of paper, shake some leaves over it, and uh, wait for a few seconds for what looks like dirt and dust particles to kind of begin scurrying around. Um, you know, even though these patches are kind of ugly in some cases, it, it really isn't a cause for concern. Um, you take a few steps further into the field and then go away pretty quickly. But I've gotten more than a few calls on that and thought it'd be good to just kind of mention that. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I like the white piece of paper to, to use as a point of diagnosis to check on them. How about Eric, anything you're seeing um, the next seven to 14 days that you think we should be aware of? Yeah, so as we approach the uh, end of July, first week of August, that's usually around the time when we start to see uh, the peak flight of uh, Western bean cutworm moths uh, in the area. So um, they're going to start to emerge or they're still are starting to see some uh, trap counts. Uh, they, they'll start going up. Uh, over the past uh, 11 years in New York, we've had uh, working with Cornell, uh, and the extension folks, we've got traps out there monitoring um, ever since the beginning of July. And uh, so I'm anticipating peak flight should be here in uh, the next seven, 10 days. And uh, what we're going to kind of keep an eye out for is corn that's uh, not tasseled yet because those, uh, those moths, those adult moths, they're going to uh, focus on laying their eggs on the flag leaf. So, you know, just kind of keep an eye out for your later planted corn and uh, looking for those small pearl-like uh, looking uh, egg masses uh, on the flag leaf. And uh, in a matter of a couple of days, they'll, they'll turn kind of purplish and then uh, the uh, eggs will hatch and the uh, worms will then start to travel down and uh, get into the ear where uh, you could have multiple worms uh, inside uh, an ear. They're not uh, cannibalistic like uh, corn earworm are so you could have as you know one or six 
worms in, in one ear. So uh, just kind of a watch out to keep an eye out for uh, because that seeding will reduce yield, grain quality, and will actually give a uh, uh, kind of a, a pathway for uh, disease or even potential molts in uh, in the ear. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for that and see uh, see what's coming. I had one, one follow-up question to that is, is Western bean cutworm something that's a, a broad issue everywhere or are there are certain geographies that are at, at higher risk than others? Yeah, so there are some hot spots in Western New York and Finger Lakes area, um, but uh, for the most part, it's more up in Allen's territory in northern New York that seem to get uh, hit quite frequently. Uh, I mean, I, I do get up into Genesis, Jefferson County, and uh, they usually will see uh, some high trap counts and, and uh, injury over the last couple of years. So, But uh, it, mainly in western New York, Finger Lakes area, they, they are spotty. But uh, Yeah, so <clears throat> thanks, Eric, for um, kind of bringing up that it is also in, in my territory as well. And uh, especially up in kind of the northern um, part of New York, uh, Malone and, and areas like that, it's pushing its way into Vermont and, um, and that. So it, it is kind of moving around um, <clears throat> and, and is in, in various other areas as well. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, everybody needs to kind of be watching out for. Uh, again, uh, Eric said that Cornell has a, a really good trapping program, and, and I keep a pretty close eye on those uh, as well. Um, one thing I kind of like to suggest, at least, is if you are walking through a field, it, it can be kind of a pain to try to uh, scout for these things because the egg masses sit a little higher. You know, like um, Eric indicated, those moths like the you know, kind of vertical leaves, especially to, to lay their eggs on on the upper side. So as you're walking through a field, kind of use the sunlight um, to, to aid you in scouting. And so if you kind of just look up as you're walking through a cornfield, the sun kind of helps to um, almost helps you to kind of see through the leaf a little bit and will highlight the egg masses. So if you see kind of a dark, decent sized circle on a leaf, go ahead, pull it down and, and look for signs of the eggs there. Um, that can be kind of a nice quick way to, to scout and, and at least check in and see if you're, you're noticing any of that because it's a really big of a, it's, it's a pain um, in, in terms of pests. It's, it's really difficult to manage and it's something that uh, everybody really should be aware of. Just kind of a, a follow up there. Uh, so if you do see the egg masses, what you could do is also take that leaf off and bring it home and incubate it in uh, like a plastic container uh, ventilated. I've done that before. My kids kind of get a kick out of it, but there's also the uh, uh, marmorated stink bugs have a very similar uh, egg pattern uh, than the Western bean cutworm. And uh, so in a matter of, you know, less than seven days, those eggs will hatch. And if you see beetles, then they're more likely uh, uh, stink bugs. But uh, if they're worms, you have uh, Western bean cutworm. Just thought I'd share that. Well, that is some great advice, guys. I, I can't say I've incubated a whole bunch of bug eggs, but it sounds like some, a great way to, to detect the difference between the stink bug and the western bean cutworm. So with that, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to visit with us here today. Um, I definitely learned from you what I heard loud and clear was now is the time to be out scouting fields. There's quite a bit that you can learn about your operation and still some time to make management decisions that can help protect yields. So with that, we're going to call it a wrap and we'll be back again in another week. Thanks everyone for joining us today. As a reminder, Kelly and I are both on Twitter at Kelly Herbick. 
and at Shai Markowski. You can also follow Pioneer Seeds at Pioneer US and at Corteva US. And just as a new thing, we have a new Twitter account for the Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Our handle is Pioneer Agro N-E. So it's Pioneer A-G-R-O and then N-E for Northeast. So go ahead and follow that for our new Twitter updates as we're going to be posting stuff there as well. So I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.